Thank you for tuning into the Chapel Valley Church Podcast. Today we wanted to share a special teaching from Pastor Susie Jenin. We hope this message encourages you and builds a deeper level of faith in you. Thank you for joining us and enjoy this message. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I am excited and intimidated all at the same time. Um, have, I, I feel like I've had this word, and then like the intimidation comes to be able to effectively communicate what I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart. So I'm excited, and as I was praying, I'm like, Lord, I pray that just my, like it's not just my words, but that your words would be spoken today. Um, and so would we just prepare ourselves to receive from the Lord um, together? Uh, so last, or we've been in the series, God with us, God with us, and today's series is God with us in our broken places. Last week as uh, Jay was speaking, I wrote down this question. Um, I just said, how were there so many blind, sick, lame people who were healed, so many, so many demonically oppressed, why not today? And then I put Luke 7, 19 through 22, so I could remember what I was, what I was like talking about or the reference or the question. And so I did what any sensible person in our congregation should know to do if you have a question. I went to Pastor Larry. And I said, <laughs> Pastor Larry, I have a question for you. Um, why? Like, there just seems to be, as we read in text and we read about the story of Jesus and how he ministered, there were, like, crowds of people who would come to him and they would receive healing. And, like, how many, like, how, how many times do we need to read that there was, like, demonic people who were, like, set free and, like, lame people and blind people? Like, what was it? You know, what was it about that time? And as we were having this conversation, um, I was reminded in our conversation about an opportunity I had to go visit North Africa. And when I was in North Africa in this region, there's, there was, to, to this day, there was men who were blind, who were in this blind community, and they were outside of a temple, and they were singing and praying not to God and waiting for their healing. And that's what they do every day. They come to this place, and because they are not, they're still considered unclean, or they, they, they stand there, and they, they chant, and they pray, and they're, they're waiting for the receiving of their healing. And I continue to think, you know, when we read through Scripture, we see that, right? The man who was at the gate, beautiful, people brought him there. Um, there was people who would gather by the, Beth- the pool of Bethesda, and they were waiting for the springs to come so that they could receive healing. So this was a common practice where the people who were the outcast society gathered together, Right? And today in our culture, there's so many reasons why maybe we don't see that. There's like, in like Western American culture, why don't we see that? It doesn't mean because there's lack of it, right? It's not that there's lack of sickness, that there's lack of these things, um, lack of people who are spiritually in bondage. Um, it's all present today. But in our culture today, we go to different places. It's more culturally acceptable to be you know, to be sick, to be blind, to be, to be deaf. It's more culturally acceptable to, um, have disabilities and it's received with, with inclusive, you know, being inclusive and, um, and welcomed. 
And so today, as I, as I was pondering that, and last week as I was sitting there, I thought, I, the Lord reminded me of this place in Scripture, and so I told Jay, hey, I got next week. Um, little did I know when I said I got next week um, that I, like half of this city, would get sick. Um, I had already been fighting something, and so I just kind of chuckled, like, of course. Of, cl- of course, of all weeks that I would call that I have, um, it would be this week where I was just laying in bed for a couple days. But it gave me time to really ponder and meditate on this place of scripture we're going to be going today. You know, in our culture today, we look for ways to solve our problems and allow, instead of allowing Jesus to be our good shepherd and lead us into our healing and our wholeness. So many times, instead of leaning into Jesus as our only option, as the option, we have option A, B, C, and D, right? And then maybe even E and F. And we have all of these things and all of these, and not only do we have these options, we have different variations of, um, of things that you can do. Um, I even think I had, I, by this point on Friday, my head was pounding. I had like, it was clearly in my sinuses, whatever it was. And I desperately went to the doctor and I just said, would you, I, and he, he said, well, why don't you try some Flonase and some Sudafed and some Advil or Tylenol to help with your headache, right? He was giving me all of these varying options. And I was at a place of desperation. I, I saw my sister. I said, just give me whatever you need. Like, I just need this to go away. Like, what three combinations do I need to do to make this sinus pressure just disappear, right? We can have so many variations and so many options. And that's just like a simple, uncomplicated place. A sinus filled with yuckiness, that there's all these options. And yet in our own complexity of our lives and where we find ourselves, we take the same approach. What variation can I get through this place of suffering fast? What place of variation so I don't have to walk through the hard place of being healed or experiencing his healing? How can I just get through this quickly? How can I escape from the pain of what I'm feeling? Pain in our culture, is not tolerated. We don't want it, right? We, we have all these self-help, all these things that can make us better. And yet when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that suffering was included in it. That part of being a follower of Jesus means that things aren't going to just magically disappear, that there is a process and an invitation that he has for all of us. And so to you today, would you just journey with me on one of the most unchristmassy Christmas messages that still talks about Christmas as we journey through together and see how God with us in our broken places was very much his plan in the beginning of time and was a prophetic word given before any before he was even on the scene that he is really Emmanuel God with us. Would you join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much um, as we've declared that you are the King of Kings, um, that you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scripture, that it is alive and living. So Lord, we open our hearts to receive a word from you today. Lord, we put all distractions aside. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and our hearts would be ready to receive the word with gladness. But then Lord, that even at the end, that our hearts would be covered and the seed would not be stolen from us, but it would bear much fruit in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So God with us in our broken places. We're going to turn, if you have your Bibles with me, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at this scripture that is the timely scripture. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. As his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Jesus, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared and said in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry, to take you marry your wife, for which is conceived in her of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth to you a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, "Behold, the virgin with the uh, the virgin shall be birth, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated God with us." Then Joseph arose from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him as his wife, took him his wife, and did not know her until he, till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So here we are, we familiar scripture, right? Um, if those people are following along or doing an Advent, uh, Advent maybe reading plan, or we hear this and we'll hear it again on Christmas Day, this proclamation of this promise. But when we go back, what you don't want to miss is it says, right in the midst of all of this, that this was done, that there would be a fulfillment of the word spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Like I said, we're going to be journeying together. Isaiah chapter 7. I should mark them in my Bible. Is it up there? Jay's like, get with technology. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. In the midst of this, as we're going to give you some context that's in here, in the midst of what's happening, Isaiah has just heard from the Lord, and the Lord has asked him to be a prophet. And in the scripture before, Isaiah agrees, like, okay, I'm going to be your prophet. And now the Lord sends Isaiah to go and give this word to a king. And in the midst of this king, and in, in the midst of this encounter, what we see is that the king maybe lacked faith, or maybe even was in rebellion, or turned away from God, as many kings had done before. And I say that in the own, in the king's own brokenness, in the midst of what is being said, Isaiah seems some, said something that seems almost out of place. Okay, let's see what he says. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying. Ask for a sign of your, ask a sign from yourself, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Ask it either in depth or in height above. But Ahaz said, I will not, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now that can sound if we're reading like, oh, I'm never going to test God. But that wasn't his intention the way, he wasn't saying, oh, I dare not test God. No, there was a place that he said, no, I'm not testing God. There was a very different delineation in how he was communicating to the prophet Isaiah. And then Isaiah goes on to say, then he said, hear now, O house of David. He's calling back into a remembrance who he is the king of. Oh, remember you house of David. It is a small thing for you for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Here in the midst of this, of this king's brokenness, 
The prophet Isaiah speaks a word, and it seems completely out of context. He goes on to talk a little bit about who Jesus will be, and then he goes on to talk about their destruction and what will happen. But in the midst of this king's brokenness, he proclaims something. He proclaims that a son will be born, and his name will not just be any name. It will be a name that implies the very thing of what he will do. Emmanuel, God with us. In the broken place of this king, he's beginning to declare that God is with us even in our broken places. So we see that Emmanuel, God with us, literally means that Jesus' physical presence was evidence to humanity that God desired to be near with us. Just think about that. His name carried the promise of what God wanted to do, and his action of being here on earth proclaimed the prophecy being true, saying that I am God. I am God with you, and I am present with you today. Jesus' presence and the way Jesus was present and engaged with people. He sat with them. He visited. He saw those who were unseen. Why? Because he was Emmanuel, God with us. The first point in this is that the proclamation of who Jesus would be, it proclaimed that God is with us, a promise that sets a tone for God's desire to be in restored relationship with his people in the midst of their broken places. It's the promise, the first proclamation of who the Savior would be. It, it could have been anything. It could have been, he will be the one who saves. It, it, all the attributes that could have been proclaimed in that place of Isaiah and the one place that the Lord decla- declared to be, or the one place the Lord decla- decided to proclaim is that God would be with us first. It wasn't that he would become with judgment. It wasn't that he would come to heal. It was that he wanted to be near to us. Is that not good? That's the first proclamation of Jesus, the first profound we read later in Isaiah where he talks about all the things that Jesus will do, but the first place is that he wants to be in our presence. You know, there's there's a common phrase, and I, I remember this story. We, I was helping our youth when Jay and I were youth pastors, and we were writing um, like prayers for them. We, I think we had like one week, talked about things that they were struggling with, and then uh, Jay and I were going, and we were writing prayers that they could pray over themselves, so trying to teach them how to pray. And I remember showing them to my, my father-in-law, and he challenged me with this. In the prayer, I remember it saying, God be with so-and-so. And I remember in that moment where he said, Susie, God is always with us. And how many times have we ever prayed, God, be with me, be with me? The heart of it is, God, let me sense that your presence, but God is always with us in our broken places, in our uncertainty, in our, our, our places where we are like excelling. God is always with us. That was the first promise ever given to him. And my hope is that we would be awakened to the presence that he is all around us. That we would be awakened to the presence that he is speaking with us. That we would be awakened to understand that he is with us in our coming and our going. And our sleeping and in our, in our running around. He is always with us. And that's the first promise that we need to remember. We don't need to come and beg God, be with me, be with me. He is with you. Would we be people who would walk with the confidence and the boldness knowing his promise is is in his name that he is with us wherever we go. 
We see in Luke chapter 8, and this is going to be our, our main our main scripture today, Luke chapter 8. And let me tell you, Luke chapter 8 is a, like a full chapter. I mean, you have all of this that's happening in Luke chapter 8. It's jam-packed with God's goodness and nearness. Like we demonstrated in the beginning of chapter 8, it's talking about how the women were with Jesus. And these weren't just any women. These were women who had been set free from the oppression in their life. And then Jesus is with a crowd of people, and he's talking to them about how to hear and receive. And then he's with He's with his disciples. And then he goes, and, and, and we could have continued on about the brokenness of God's nearness. All of a sudden, he crosses over, and he has this encounter with this deeply, deeply oppressed and possessed man that has all of these spirits in him and Jesus is near him in his brokenness and he experiences freedom. So like chapter eight of Luke is just like so good, so good. But we're going to look at one little part of chapter eight, Luke chapter eight, verse 40 through 56. Now we're going to have me read again. And clearly I'm struggling a little bit today with reading, but we're just going to bear with you. You could read on that screen. I'm going to read from, I think I might need bigger text. That actually might be the problem. I think it's time for either a set of readers or a bigger text in my Bible. Like that could be like half of my issue right now um, is the fact that this is a little small. And um, instead of reading like this, I'm trying to read from here. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Just think about that. When I read scripture, I like to like try to picture in my mind what was happening and the different players as I'm reading, because it helps the scripture come alive. It helps me ask questions. We have to be reading scripture and asking questions. That's how we get to know him. That's why I'm asking, like, Larry, there seems to be a discrepancy from what I'm reading and what I'm experiencing, right? I'm asking a question. So read, like, close your eyes, envision it. I don't care what you do. Just get into it because scripture is alive. Okay, so here they are. Jesus returned to them and that there was a multitude that welcomed him that were waiting for him. And behold, came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying, but he went, and the multitudes thronged him. So here's what's happening. Here's a man, and, and if it's in scripture, it's worth taking a note. We see that here comes Jairus. He's, he's part of the synagogue. Now, What's interesting is there was a lot of speculation about Jesus' authority to teach, Jesus' authority and placement that he had, what he should and shouldn't be doing. I'm sure, like, they were talking about him. They were questioning him. But here comes this man who isn't just, like, any man. It's not just a man who has a daughter. He's, it says he's a ruler in the synagogue. So this is a man of authority, and this is a man that what he's about to do might just cost him his position, and his placement. So here he comes. And not only does he come to Jesus, but he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet. He falls at his feet and he begins to beg. And he says, I have a daughter who's 12 who is dying. Now, two things that are interesting about this. It's his daughter and she's 12 and she's dying. Okay, those are three things we want to remember in this. So now, so then they go. Now, if you're reading in Mark, it talks about then they, they journey. 
And as they're journeying through this throng of people, all of these, like a throng is like a lot of people, right? So just think about this. Jesus is walking in the midst of all of these people. They're pressing up against him. He's in, and not only is he like, he's not just like casually walking and like talking. No, they, he's on a journey. He's like, he's on a mission. He's with this ruler. So maybe there's like, did this ruler have people like with him? I just kind of think of like, just the most like biggest celebrity you can think of. There's just throngs of people. So maybe he's inaccessible and he's walking. And as he's walking, Jesus is with these people. Is that an accurate statement? He's in with people. Jesus is walking in his authority and power. And there are tons of people around him. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, now a woman having an issue of flow of blood for 12 years who had spent her livelihood on physicians, could not be healed by any. She came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately the flow of blood stopped. Like, I'm right now, like, getting choked up thinking about this because I want us to not miss this. I want us to catch what is happening here. Here's a woman who has an issue of blood for how many years? 12 years. Here's a woman, issue of blood, 12 years. She probably is unmarried, doesn't have a family. She's an outcast in society because we know from Old Testament and Jewish customs, if, if there was any fluids or bodily fluids or blood, they were, you were untouchable, you were unclean, you were to be out in a different area. If someone touched you, they had to go through a ritual of getting clean. So here is just a whole bunch of situations happening at once, to say the least. In fact, I was reading that many priests wouldn't even touch women because they would not know if it was the, if they, she was unclean. So here's a woman who's going through, and I just picture in my mind the, these two different stories that are happening and both levels of desperation that they're having. And both of them are near and present, like they're near God, the God who was with us, the, the Emmanuel. And in the midst of that, all of these other people are there too who are near Emmanuel, God with us. And there's something that profoundly happens. I am sure because I read scripture and I think this is maybe a safe assumption to say there was probably people who were around him who were sick, who were lame, who needed his healing. How, what makes me think that is when I read in scripture, there was many people who gathered, who were sick, who were lame, who needed his healing. So why would this be any different? There's people who were waiting for him. So what was so special about this moment? So in this moment, this woman does something that is uncustomary already, and she touches just the hem. And I, and I have to think of this, if she's touching the hem, she's not up, she's not walking, she's, I just see this in my mind, and maybe I'm making it more than what it is, and maybe I've just encountered too many desperate situations, and even during worship, I was like, Lord, like, I need you in this place. Like I was not this place in something I was praying about in worship, if that makes sense. And I just feel this level of desperation. So I just see her like doing what she can. And she catches the hem of his robe, which is long. The bottom. That means her posture is one of what? Coming back down to his feet. Is that not the same posture that Jairus took? He, she, she comes in this level of desperation. She's tried everything. She's paid all of what she has. And all she wants is to be healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all had denied it, Peter and those who sat with him, Master, the multitudes of throngs press you, 
and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, this woman. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came to them, trembling and falling down before him. She declared in his presence, um, in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let me tell you what he did in that moment. He doesn't refer to her. He goes from, she goes from being a woman of issue with an issue of blood to being called adopted and daughter. Think about it in that moment, in that moment in front of all of these people. Now remember, we have Jairus who's still there watching. He's still up close seeing what's happening and what is he wanting? He's needing healing. He's desperate for healing for his daughter who has a place, who has a father, who will contend for her, who is contending for her healing. But here's a woman desperate. And has been in 12 years of desperation. And Jesus, in a moment, not only heals her, he brings her into her family and says, you have a rightful place with me. And the first words that are out of his mouth are daughter. Let it not be lost on us that our Heavenly Father calls us sons and daughters. Not because of anything we can do, but because of our rightful place in his, in his kingdom. That when he said and it was proclaimed that Emmanuel, would, God, would be with us, it was because he was looking to bring those people who were outcasts into his family. Adoption is the one of the most beautiful things because it says, I choose you. And in that moment, Jesus declares, woman, you are now my daughter and I choose you. You are no longer an outcast. You are no longer defined by the things that have defined you for so long. Now I call you a new name. And that new name comes with a new heritage. That new name comes with a new authority. That new name comes with a new legacy. Daughter, you are well. And not only are you well, go in peace. Go and be freed. Go. Because the very thing that you have come looking for, you have received. See, would we be people who... at all costs, at any level of desperation, that we wouldn't even wait to let that level of desperation happen, but we would be people that would say, God, I need you before my situation gets desperate. I need you, because had, well, granted, like when we look at the timeline of things, Jesus wasn't doing these things for her 12 years, but she'd been doing a lot of stuff on her own. I think too many times we're satisfied with all of the things we can do on our own. We are satisfied with all of the things that the world has to offer us, and we've actually not contended out of desperation just to say, Jesus, if I just can just touch the hem. And we know now that we don't need to be beggars. We know now that we don't have to be people who, who like, throw ourselves out of desperation, but we can come boldly into the throne room and say, Heavenly Father, you've already called me daughter. You've already called me healed. You've already called me your own. You've already given me the authority to walk in. And so I come in that authority. I come in that relationship that you are mine and I am yours. See, we've not experienced that level of desperation. And people are okay with spending thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of millions of dollars to try to figure out life's answers. And here's what the woman figured out. There's only one answer. And that answer is Jesus. 
I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm going to go to the one answer. And when she was going for one answer, not only did that answer get healed, or that not only did that prayer get answered, but she got even more than what she could ask for, which was a new name. And it wasn't just any name. It was one that says, now I am your father. Now you know the father. Because that's what Jesus had been talking, right? Like when you speak to me, you speak to my father. And what I say is what I hear him say, and, right? So immediately there was restoration. And the words and the, pro- the prophetic pro- proclamation of Emmanuel, God with us, was immediately put into action in that moment. You guys, I don't know, I don't, I don't know about you. Okay, cause I actually remember the first time I read this scripture, I was on a plane. I have it, I, I don't have my phone with me. I have a note the very day. I was, I was headed probably to California. I, I don't know. And I was sitting on the plane and I was reading the scripture and I read this portion. And all of a sudden on an airplane where there is not much space, I began sobbing. I began weeping. Because I realized that all of those places that were broken in me, all of those places of rejection, that in a moment the Lord said, you are my daughter. doesn't matter what anyone else calls you. It doesn't matter what anyone else says to you. You come to me for your healing. You come to me for me to resolve things. You come to me because I am your heavenly father. I remember the moment of that moment that I had that revelation. This is one of those scriptures where I had that revelation so deeply that I was no longer rejected. That I was no longer being judged by man. I mean, I could be, I guess in theory, people could be judging me. That, that's actually accurate. But the Lord began to say, that doesn't matter. Look to me. And in that moment, just think about this, this woman with boldness and courage, when she realizes that she cannot hide, she stands there and with trembling and fear begins to proclaim, it was me. Not only was it me, but I was unclean. Not only was I unclean, I've been having this issue of blood. And just think about the, the ruckus, the chaos that all of these people who were, like, just when you think about it, like, let your mind just wander for a little bit. There was all these people who had now touched her. There was all these people who had now been exposed to her. And in her vulnerability, in her, in her honestness and in her courage, Jesus says this thing, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. When we allow Jesus into our broken places, he calls us out who we are, not what we've done. Again, she goes from being a woman with an issue of blood to him calling him his daughter. He sees the past, he knows those places, and he, he invites us to say, just be near to me because I want to be near to you. And I just think about the shame and the condemnation, we spend a time, we, we are now in a culture that wants to create a life that looks a certain way, right? If I can just, like, I, was, I took a picture, and I was like, oh, I don't like that angle. And I took another picture, and then I was like, oh, I still don't like that. And then I, like, took another picture, and I'm like, <sighs> right? Because I wasn't quite getting the right angle. We want to, we believe that for some reason these markers are the markers and all he's saying is I want to be with you in your broken places. I want to make those break, broken places whole. 
got to stop looking around. And will you, like the woman with the issue of blood, just come near? I know. He knows. You know, the hope that I, I, as I was praying, the hope that I was like, Lord, it took 12 years and you did it. 12 years. Do I have the faith to contend for places of breakthrough for 12 years? Do I have the faith to say, but you will do it. You are the only answer. Because we're in a family, and this isn't just any family. This family is like our father is the creator of the universe, and he calls us ours, calls us his. We serve a God who literally is the author and finisher of our faith. Just think about that. We serve a God where it says in Hebrews, he's the author. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And don't we see it with this woman? He becomes and he rewrites her story and gives her the faith to go on and live in a way. He changes the narrative of our story. And it's not so that we can just like, we're looking like projects he can fix. No, he's just saying, just come to me and I will address what needs to be addressed, and I will rewrite the places that need to be rewritten. You don't need to do it. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. It says in Psalms that he's written our, like, our days in the book of life. Like, there's vision and hope and dreams he has for each one of us, and somehow we become and we allow these other things to become our identity instead of resting in the identity of being his son and daughter. Son and daughter to the one who is with us. That we don't need to beg. We don't need to, like, perform. We don't need to do all these things for his attention. In our humility, when we position ourselves to encounter freedom, that can only be, it's in our humility that we need to position ourselves to encounter freedom for our, for the places that we're navigating. It's in humility. We see this both in both places. We see Jairus who comes, and the first thing he does is he throws himself. He doesn't like curtsy. He doesn't like bow. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. We see a woman who's bending and and doing everything she can. So in in her humility, instead of letting shame and condemnation be the in the steps and the thoughts in our her mind be what dictates her encounter with Jesus, she knows, she knows, she knows that this is her moment of freedom. This is her moment for healing. She didn't hide. And when she was exposed in her humility, she spoke out in courage. And as only our beautiful, beautiful Savior does, as he covers her immediately in those moments. And then Jairus. You know, Jairus, you know what it means? Anyone, by any chance? Ironic. Not ironic that you don't know. Ironic what his name means. Jairus means to walk in the light. Just think about this. His name means to walk in the light. Now, when I named my kids, I named them with intentionality. I named them because I wanted that when I said their names, we've said this before, we'd be proclaiming a truth over them. And there's been many times I've been corrected in how I say my kids' names because I, I, and I mean, I'm, you know, right, I'm, I'm human. But there's been times that I'm like, I can speak their names, and when I speak their name, it is a promise of God. I didn't want anything trendy. I didn't, I mean, like, trendy would have been cool. I really wanted to name Samantha Fiona. Fiona was like my, like, name for her. 
Jay was like, we're not doing it. And I said, and if she's born, because Fiona means fair-skinned. So I said, if she's born light-skinned, then I will, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to push you on this. My sweet girl was born with dark hair, olive skin, and brown eyes. And so Fiona was out the window. Um, and I'm sure her and everyone else is saying, thank goodness Fiona's out the window. Um, but I wanted, I wanted that name. That was the only, like, half-trendy name that I was, like, kind of looking at for my kids. But I wanted their names to be something that when I said their name, this, and this, this is, like, no condemnation, just for me, when I said their name, I would speak truth and life over them. So I found it interesting that of all people, Jairus' name was to walk in the light. Because here was a man who was a ruler of a synagogue, and his life up to that point had not been necessary. I mean, he wasn't like a bad man. He was studying scripture. But he wasn't actually walking fully in the light until this moment. And not only is he walking in the light from the revelation he receives, he gets to walk with the light. Just think about this. Like, I, when I tell you that, like, I can't make this stuff up, like, when I read that, I was like, Phew. he got to walk with the light. Someone whose name meant to walk in the light, he walks side by side with the light. And not only that, this prophetic proclamation ha- is, is what happens in his life. We're going to continue on this story. So now there's this beautiful moment that's happening, at least for the woman and Jesus, right? And um, every, like, just I keep kind of seeing, like, chaos and stuff. Like, I just see it all kind of happening. But Jesus is, like, locked in, locked in with his daughter. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. She's dead. Just leave her. But Jesus heard it, and he answered to him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe. She will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all the, all wept and mourned for her. And he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. Now in that time, the custom was when someone had died, there was professional mourners. Can you believe? There was professional mourners who would come, and they would cry, and they would lament for the family. So they were, just think about time frame. These, these people were already there. They were already lamenting. They were already, they were already mourning, right? I don't know, like, I mean, I, if I would have dug probably further, maybe I could have figured out, like, where, where was he? How far did she live? Walking time? Like, you know, because they weren't, like, in cars or, you know, they weren't, like, just hopping on and going. Like, there, there was time to all of this. There was time for them to get there. There was time from the ruler to get to where Jairus and Jesus were. And Jesus says, now he's like, clear out. Everyone clear out. Like, you guys go outside. Like, not like just outside. Go out. And what I think is interesting is he calls his inner circle and the mother and father into this room. Um, so the mourners of all people, they ridiculed Jesus, which I think is funny. But we all do that, right? Like, like when I read this, I'm not like, shame on you. No, there's times I'm like, Lord, why are you doing it that way? Or like, I, what is going on? Like, I can get like such a saucy attitude with him sometimes. Like, he knows what he's doing. Can I just trust and, and lean? But here are these mourners who are like ridiculing him because of what he's saying. So they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside. That's what we need to do with our thoughts sometimes, just that don't line up with things. Just you're going outside. Put them all outside. Took her by the hand. And 
yeah, took her by the hand and called out saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Praise the Lord. The first thing after healing comes is like, now feed her. And her parents were astonished that he charged them to tell no one of what happened. Let me tell you, Jesus could have, was doing many things for a crowd, but this one he did sacredly for the family. See, so many times we want the crowd and the miracles and signs and this and that and like this awe and wonder. And yet he calls them to this beautiful, intimate moment for Jairus, whose name means to walk in the light, for his wife, for the mother who's devastated at the loss. For these disciples who were a part of his inner circle and who would go on and, and be the ones who proclaimed the good news after Jesus would, would, you know, ascend to heaven. He calls them all closely in and he performs this miracle. And then he says this, don't go tell anyone. I don't need the fame, not doing it so I can get more followers. Like this was Jesus the one who was like sent to people, and he's saying, keep this between us. Because some moments in our life are not for everyone else. Some moments in our life are to be met in the intimate places of the Lord so that we can be propelled when the time is is led forward, so that we can be fortified in a way that keeps us moving forward in faith because we know the things he's done in secret. You know, we read in scripture that says, and you can read it depending on however mood you're in, whatever's done in the light, in the dark will be brought to light. Like you can read that in any tone you want to read that in, right? Like if I'm having a rough day, like, oh no, like what have I done? Or like, Lord, you see the depths and the deep parts of my heart that I cry out to you. And I trust that what needs to come to light will come to light. In this beautiful moment where Jesus could have maybe had more people who would have followed him and all of those people who ridiculed him, He says, now go and say no more. He wasn't really interested in correcting anybody, making it, right? If the mourners were there and the girl walks out, clearly they're going to see what has happened. But he says, go and tell no one. Which is interesting because when you read in earlier in the chapter, um, when the the man with the many demons in, in him, he actually says, like, can I go with you? And he says, no, go tell your friends. Go tell everyone what you've just encountered. So you just have a few scriptures before where Jesus is saying, go proclaim it. Go proclaim what you've just encountered. And then now at the end, he's saying, no, this was for us. This was for, for my children. This is for just the intimate so you would know that Emmanuel has been with you. You know, um... The invitation and the promise for him to be near us is always there. It says in scripture, draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. He is with us. I believe that the promise of him being near us in our brokenness and that there's an invitation that we would walk with him and both experience his moving power and authority, not just for ourselves, but we'd be patient while we wait for the things in our life that are not yet and move and contend for things mightily to happen in other people's lives. You know, Jairus, man who is to walk in the light, gets to see this full circle. He sees the restoration that's happening with the woman. Meanwhile, at that moment, 
everything. And I, I can't even imagine the gut drop feeling of what it felt like to hear those words. And Jesus says, no, let's go. Have faith. See, Jairus was invited to walk and contend for the things that he was believing for while also seeing it happen for someone else. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe with all of my heart that that is our invitation today. That the first words that were proclaimed about Jesus, that he was Emmanuel, God with us, that we would carry that message that wherever we go, he is with us. We don't need to beg. He wants to bring wholeness to those places that are broken. We all have broken places. Like, I'm sorry, you do. I know you think you have it together. But we have someone who's called the author and finisher of our faith for a reason. Not because we're a project, but because he loves us so much. that He would say, would you just come to know me in a greater way? That's the invitation. That was the invitation to the woman when he said, daughter, the invitation was come know me intimately. When the invitation, when he's sitting in that room is, now you've just encountered me intimately, what are you going to do with it? That's the God we serve. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas. Is that Emmanuel, God with us, came in an unlikely way, through an unlikely person, ultimately for an unlikely people. And in those places, he desires, I see you, I know you. Like, he knows the deep cries of our heart. He knows those places of disappointment. I just talk to him about it because I'm like, you know, Lord. And the invitation is, I am with you. You don't need to beg. Would you trust me? Would you trust me in this place? I believe the invitation today for all of us is that we would be people of courage, And that we would stand up and say, Lord, I know everything I've tried to obtain without you is not worth anything that I can obtain with you. We don't need to run the hamster wheel anymore. He's just saying, come. That's the invitation literally for today as we're entering this Christmas season. Come as you are. And experience my goodness. And experience my love. That's what he was, that's what there was there. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, I think she got to a point that said, I've tried everything on my own. Like everything. I've tried everything on my own. I'm sure Jairus had tried everything on his own. They both were there. And they both said, like, I surrender to you. I surrender to your ways. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender to what you have. Because you are all that I need. And that's my heart and prayer, is that we would come to know it is him that we need. That we would keep our eyes on him. And as we keep our eyes with him, there's going to be times that it's going to feel a little nerve-wracking. A little bit like that woman who was exposed. We might shake a little bit as we're speaking. But just know he calls you sons and daughters. We're part of his family. And sometimes when we think about family, we all have our own experiences with it. But his family is the one that started with a proclamation, I'm sending someone who will be with you. So we're never alone. 
Would you stand with me as we prayed, and I'll invite the worship team. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you um, that the first words that you chose to speak through a prophet was that his name would be Emmanuel. That in that proclamation, that that set the tone of who our Savior would be. Someone who wouldn't abandon us when things got tough, but someone who was our very present help, who's near. So, Father God, I just pray that in those places that we feel your distance, in, or that we feel distant, or we feel broken, Lord, in those places, God, we call and ask, Lord, will we be aware of your presence, that we would not be like the throngs of people who had you in the midst and missed the very moment that you were with them, but that we would be like the woman that would know you are there and that you are the answer. God, I pray that there would be continued deeper revelation of who you are. Lord, I pray that as we read your word in your scripture, we would be resolved that we are a part of your family, that we are loved, and that we are called by name, that you know us by name, Lord. Lord, I pray that you are both doing private victories in our life, just like with Jairus and his family, and there are public victories yet to be experienced, like the woman with the issue of blood. God, we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that you do not change, that you are not weary, that you are not growing tired, God. But Lord, I pray in those places where we are feeling weary and tired, that we would receive your strength, that we would receive your hope, that we would receive your forgiveness and your love. And Lord, that we would rise up and continue to walk towards you. That we would continue to position ourselves in places of humility that would say, Lord, just have your way. Like I've done it all, have your way. And then Lord, that we would encounter our heavenly father like never before. Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate this Christmas season knowing that every place that you have spoken, that your word will not return void. Lord, that every word that you have spoken will go and do the very thing that you sent it forth out to do. Lord, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we receive it. Just tell them right now. Say, Lord, I receive your word to me today. I receive what you have. Thank you, Lord, for the showing us who you are and your heart towards us. You know, as Pastor Susie was bringing the word, I was just, what I was hearing was, it's not crisis that brings you to me, it's your desperation for me. And I I feel like when we have a heart that's desperate for him, it changes our posture, doesn't it? It changes our approach. And that's something that the Lord is continually inviting us into is that we would come with a heart that's desperate, not just to go through the motion or get what I need. No, that we would just be desperate for him. And that's where this woman with the flow of blood was. She was desperate. She was in crisis, but she was desperate. And she came trembling and she came to touch Jesus. How many of you know Jesus wants us to come to him? Amen. Can we just sing this again? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor. 
I'm accepted You were condemned say we are desperate for you and Lord that we don't need to exert but Lord we just call on you we just come to you Lord and you respond we thank you for your love and we receive it today in Jesus name in Jesus name say father in Jesus name I receive your love for me and I declare that you are my king We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. How many of you are thankful, God, he came to be with us? Amen. And he looks at us. He calls us sons and daughters. Such a good word. Can we thank Pastor Susie for the word this morning? Thank you. Thanks, honey. All right. Well, hey, it is Christmas this week. Join us for Christmas Eve service this Friday. Um, if you can help with full and folk Saturday, thank you. If you can help, we don't need to lose days. Uh, if you can help with full and focus, please let us know, sign up at our connect page. Um, and then join us online next Sunday at 10 AM. Merry Christmas. God bless you. We'll see you. God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Chapel Valley church. 
We want to hear from you, so please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at info at chapelvalley.org. We hope you stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Chapel Valley Church. You can also stay updated by visiting our website, chapelvalley.org.